The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All sins are not the same. It's certainly true that there are all sorts of different ways to break God's law. But more to the point is that some sins do a whole lot more damage than others. Even the world recognizes this, which is why some sins send you to prison while others do not. In the church, we recognize that some sins nudge you towards unbelief, while others do horrible damage to faith right away. On the other hand, all sins are the same. They are the same in that they are unholy and make you unholy. You do not need to commit some spectacular sin to earn God's wrath. Just a little one will do, which is especially easy when you're already born with a sinful nature and sinning before you know it. That said, we're on to the next portion of the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus kicks off by saying, You have heard that it was said to those of old, 
you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Well, that's a slap in the face. You've heard in the Sermon on the Mount so far that you're blessed by God with the kingdom of heaven for Jesus' sake. And you've heard from Jesus that by faith you're doing all sorts of good works. And when it comes to good works, the fifth commandment ought to be practically a gimme. God says you shall not murder, and the chances are very good that you haven't killed anyone yet today. When Jesus starts to speak of the Ten Commandments here, you might think for a moment that he's starting you off easy with number five. He's not, though. He makes it impossible for you to keep the fifth commandment. He doesn't say... Look, there are times when you're going to be really angry at other people, so good on you that you don't punch them in the nose or take their life. I'm proud of your restraint. No, he doesn't say that. Instead, he says that you've already broken the fifth commandment if you've gotten angry with someone or insulted them. Again, in some ways, all sins are the same, and in other ways, they're different. So if you're angry at me, you've broken the fifth commandment already, but I'd still prefer that you don't think that you might as well run me down in the parking lot. That would not be good for you. Wouldn't be great for me either. Under this general topic of doing harm, Jesus says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, Be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. When Jesus says this, he's speaking, of course, about the altar at the temple where sacrifices are made, and it would be terribly hypocritical to make a sacrifice which, in part, publicly declares that you're all right with God who says, love your neighbor, while you're holding a grudge against your neighbor. Nowadays, you sometimes see this verse included on communion registration cards in church pews because it's even worse to go to the supper and expect forgiveness when you haven't reconciled with your brother or sister in Christ. It's not that your forgiving others earns God's forgiveness, but it's true that your sin of not forgiving makes you unrepentant. If you're holding on to grudges and going to Holy Communion, The fact that it doesn't bother you is an indication of how much damage it's done to your faith. Remember, faith loves doing good works. As much as your old Adam fosters anger and discourages reconciliation, faith is jumping up and down for you to make things right. We move on, for Jesus next moves on to the sixth commandment, and he says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, this one is a tougher discussion, because while most people don't get out of bed in the morning ready to rage against humanity, Most adults do have a sexual appetite. It's a gift from God. It's part of his perfect creation. It's meant to be a blessing for husband and wife within marriage. 
but now it's corrupted by sin. It's still built into you, and you live in a sexualized culture where temptations are everywhere. Bombarded by temptation, you're tempted to think, I had all these lustful thoughts going through my head, but at least I didn't act on them, so that must count for something. And then Jesus comes along and says, those thoughts going through your head? Yeah, you've already broken the sixth commandment. You're already unholy before God. Now again, we hasten to say, some sins do more damage than others. Lustful thoughts are sinful and make you unholy. But pornography rewires the brain and makes it far harder to think properly about sex and how to love a spouse. Casual encounters destroy a capacity for intimacy so that people are always lonely. And adultery destroys marriages and families, sometimes for generations. Promoting immorality in society harms untold numbers. Sexual sin will do more to destroy faith than nearly any other sin, both because it's often so alluring and because your sexuality is so much a part of who God made you to be. Flee sexual sin. And all the same, as Jesus makes the point here, beware the hypocrisy of saying, since they're only lustful thoughts, it's not really sin at all. If Jesus' words so far weren't enough to set everybody on edge in this place, he goes on with this. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Of all sins, this is one of the most difficult to address in a public sermon to a group of people because the reasons for divorce are highly individualized, the pain is immense, and the stakes are high. It's a fine art to speak well about it in a group, and Jesus doesn't seem to help the preacher with his strong words here. He says, if a man instigates divorce by throwing his wife out, he makes her guilty of adultery by casting her away. Tough words. So let me approach it this way. God gives marriage not just for companionship and intimacy, but also as an illustration of the gospel of the love between Christ and his bride, the church. Whenever a marriage is broken, it is no longer what it was meant to be. It renders God's institution broken, unholy, and impure, and that is the meaning of adulterated. Sometimes divorce happens too easily and casually. Other times, it's unavoidable. Either way, if you have gone through divorce, there is no way you cannot have undergone a profound spiritual crisis and the loss of a holy thing as you've lived through the destruction of both a home and a destruction of a symbol of the gospel. All of that is a huge assault on faith, and the devil will use it to tempt you to a hardened heart or a despairing heart. Now, when it comes to any assault on faith, including this one, the remedy is the Lord's word. So please, if you are troubled, come talk to me. In the meantime, in keeping with the theme of this part of the Sermon on the Mount, 
Even if you're married, take your marriage vows seriously and work hard every day through the better and through the worse. You know those times that you've gotten frustrated with your spouse? Yes, that means that you are unholy before God. Finally, as if we need more, Jesus talks about taking oaths, about swearing in God's name. It sounds like a noble thing to invoke God's name in a promise, but people are far better at breaking promises and not meaning what they say. They speak without considering abilities or consequences. They have a much higher opinion of themselves than they should, and so they bite off more than they can chew. When they drag God's name into the mix, they do more than just prove themselves untrustworthy by claiming God's help and then failing to follow through. They teach the lie that God is weak or untrustworthy. If you've ever said you'd do something and then failed to do it, either because you couldn't, you forgot, you were prevented, or you never intended to, shows that you are unreliable with your words. If your words prove false, Jesus says you have more in common with Satan, the father of lies, than with your father in heaven who loves truth. So with those examples, I think it's pretty safe to say that you cannot escape. You're a sinner. You need a solution. Now, Jesus suggests this one. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, it is absolutely true that it is better to show up in heaven missing an arm or an eye than to show up in hell with both. But this doesn't work for curing sin. Jesus never says that it does. See, your eye and your hand don't cause you to sin. They simply obey your sinful heart and mind and soul. So lopping off appendages is not God's plan for your salvation. He doesn't require your hand or your eye or your blood. Instead, he requires his sons. And his son is equally willing to make the sacrifice. The sinless son of God becomes flesh. He's tempted just like you are, yet without sin. He doesn't have to hold back from slapping his neighbor when he really wants to because he never wants to. Not even when his neighbor holds a scourge that's flaying his back. Jesus dines with prostitutes and doesn't have to fight any what-if thoughts because he has no impure desires. He desires that they be pure before God, not tools for men's appetites. Jesus has one of the most erratic and faithless brides ever, for his bride is the church, the whole collective of repentant sinners who still wander into sin all the time. But rather than end this dysfunctional marriage, he dies in the place of his bride. And rather than say what is convenient spin, he always speaks the truth, even when it gets him nailed to a cross. His thoughts are always pure, and they are always pure towards you. Despite your sins, the malicious ones, the thoughtless ones, and everything in between that really ought to annoy him, 
He desires that you be his holy people with your sins removed. But he doesn't demand that you pay the price, that you take all of your sins, shake them down into your right hand, and then get out the axe. Instead, the Father has shaken all your sins unto his Son at the cross, poured them all out there, and he has forsaken his Son there, forsaken him instead of you, cast him into the hell of forsakenness so that you might not be forsaken, but forgiven. Then the Father has raised up his Son so that he might raise you up too, raise you up to eternal life with all your members and none of your sins. This is an important text for contemplation. You hear how much God truly demands in his law, and you're tempted to laugh at the absurdity of trying to keep it. But don't laugh at holiness. Instead, reflect that despite how thoroughly lost you are, and how you are not what you are supposed to be, the Lord has paid an awesome price that you might be what he demands, holy and sinless by his grace. Yeah, it's not by your doing. Your thoughts certainly haven't gotten pure. But you are holy and sinless by Christ's holy sacrifice for you. In him, clothed in his righteousness, you are what you're supposed to be. And you will see it to be so on the day of resurrection. Oh, marvel and rejoice, for you are redeemed, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you of all your sin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.